The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's up, Royals fans? Stick around. Josh, Joel, and I are going to break down the 2022 MLB trade deadline right after this. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. All right, welcome back in to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I am joined tonight. We got the band back together, Joel Penfield and Josh Kaiser. We're going to recap the trade deadline, talk about where the Royals stand, how the front office is operating. We got all kinds of stuff to get into, but really quick, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound, it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. All right, big thanks to KCSC as always out there at home field in Olathe. Joel, I want to get your overall thoughts on the Royals' trades that they made before the trade deadline. So we can include Carlos Santana, we can include Emmanuel Rivera, the trade of the 35th overall pick. If you had to give the Royals a grade for how they managed their roster before the trade deadline today, what would you give them as an overall grade? Just some overall thoughts about how they handled things. Like a B minus. Like I feel like they could have done a lot more, but they made the trades that 
generally they should have made. They they traded Carlos Santana, which they wanted to do. They traded Andrew Benintendi, which they needed to do. And I'm gonna the grade gets a bump for me by taking. There's a little bit of inherent risk by trading a draft pick, but trading that to get Drew Waters, who is by all accounts at this point really started to shine a little bit. He's still striking out quite a bit, but you're starting to see the tools come together and he looks like it's the type of guy that can be your everyday center fielder in 2023. You trade Emmanuel Rivera for a struggling pitcher. That's kind of a wash for me. Like kind of either way, that's fine. I wasn't as high on Emmanuel Rivera. I never thought he'd be a starter long-term. So trading him for a guy that actually profiles as a decent reliever, maybe you can get something there. Um, and then you obviously have the Andrew Benintendi trade and then wit at the end of, you know, right at the buzzer uh, today on the, the day of the trade deadline. So they did what they needed to do. They could have done more, but I can't complain. Josh, what are your overall thoughts and maybe a grade for how the Royals have handled their roster up to the trade deadline? Um, <clears throat> so leading up to this, I told you guys in the chat that about a week ago, I was resigned to the fact that none of these things were going to happen. And I think I've said it multiple times before that, We've been clamoring for a Whit Merrifield trade for three straight seasons. And f- like, I finally, I'm just like, no, not going to happen. I don't care if it doesn't happen. I don't care if it does happen. I'll be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised if it does. But at this point, why would he? Um, so the fact that they actually did that is going to get a, a letter, bu- letter bump from me. Um, but I like the water trade, like you guys have talked about, uh, the inherent risk of trading a draft pick. There's also, and I didn't really realize this until yesterday, there's also plenty of risk on the Braves side. Uh, potentially drafting a guy at 35 that they can't sign for whatever reason, doesn't want to sign. That's very, you know, most of those guys are, are, are drafted with the, the, uh, the plan and the slot money in mind, but it's, it's just risky. It just kind of hit me yesterday that that's, that could have happened. Uh, but I mean, overall I was, I was completely fine with what happened. Um, like Joel said, they could have done a little bit more, who knows what that reliever – it looked like that reliever market was setting up nicely to sell off a Barlow or a Stamont, but um, I'm also not completely against the way they approached it that if they are in into things, into contending a little bit next year, you don't want to start in a deficit and need bullpen pieces when you had them last year. And then if you want to keep that as a strength and you got your two best guys there and keep them in, on the roster for a little bit longer, fine. They can – uh, they can do that, and if they're not contending next year, we can try to ship them out again. We'll see how it goes. So I'd say overall I'm going to go B-plus um, just because it seemed like, you know, they did the things that they needed to do. They could have gone more, but um, I'm fine. I, <laughs> they, I was pleasantly surprised with what they did do. I'm going to give them a B-minus, and I'm going to give them the lowest possible B-minus that you can get at an 80% <laughs> because pitchers – are depreciating assets. They are never, I mean, probably not never, but almost never going to gain value. It is really hard for veteran pitchers to gain value. They are almost always on the decline. If Scott Barlow were to tear his UCL at the beginning of next season, he is a complete net zero for this team for the rest of his contract. He's got two years left. You're talking about a year of Tommy John, another few months to recover, and then by 2024, you no longer have a fresh reliever. You have a 31-year-old coming off of Tommy John surgery. You have to analyze your roster in a way that makes sense for the future when you're already out of the playoffs. 
Now is no longer part of the consideration. Find ways to make sure that Bobby Witt Jr. sees the playoffs in a Royals uniform. You got five years left. You got five years left to make that happen. And as we've seen with Juan Soto, maybe three or four, right? We've seen with Juan Soto literally a few hours ago that you're not guaranteed all seven of those years. Now, if the Royals are able to get a haul back like the Washington did today, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but you're not guaranteed that. You're not guaranteed that com- that contention window. And what the Royals did today feels very much like they expect to be contending soon, which is what they did in 2019, is what they did in 2020, and it's what they did last offseason. Their entire la- offseason plan last year was promote Bobby Witt Jr., and hope we're good again. And then all of a sudden, the pitching staff sucked. The offense couldn't get going. And by April, you're out of it already. And so I think, or by, by May, I'm sorry, by May 1st, you're already out of it. So I think when I look at the the trades they actually made, I would, I would lean towards like an A-. minus. I think what they actually did do was really effective. And I think the moves they made really makes sense for a lot of what the organization needs, what the team needs now, what the team needs moving forward. It's the moves they didn't make that get like a big fat F from me, maybe like a D minus. Not trading Michael A. Taylor at the peak of his value was a mistake, was a huge mistake. Harrison Bader got you back Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis. I would have been all in on something like that. Go find an arm, go find anything else that you think can in some way help the team now and in the future. This team needs pitching bad. Jordan Montgomery has been very good the last two seasons. I would have been very much in on having him in the rotation next year. Scott Barlow is another one. Scott Barlow, the reliever market was so hot. And I mentioned earlier in the, in the trade deadline process that I kind of understood not trading Barlow because you don't want these young guys to work, work, work for a victory, and then it slip away from a bad reliever. And Scott Barlow proved his place on the team last night in Chicago, that the game they won 2-1. to one. That was before I saw what mediocre relievers were getting on the trade market. Uh-huh. Jordan Grosshands went for like two, <clears throat> I mean, two guys who were having good years, but with no proven track record. Scott Barlow has like a three to four year track record of being one of the best relievers in baseball. I guarantee you he could have gotten gross hands by himself, if not more, apparently. So I'm really curious about why they didn't make the moves that they that they didn't make. And I just I'm terrified that a lot of it is we think we're going to compete immediately next year. And time and time again, we've seen the Royals worst offseason plan is go into next year and try again. Because it's not working. You've got to try something drastic. The only time they've ever really done that was the James Shields trade. And then they went on a great three-year run, 2013, 14, 15. I think they need to do something drastic. They need to shake some things up. And after today, I just kind of don't get the feeling that this offseason will look a whole lot different than this past uh, trade deadline. It feels like they took the phrase, like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again a little bit too literally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you really should have the Billy Bean approach of adapt or die. I mean, persistence pays off, Joel, right? That's what that's what we say. Well, we saw, what, 30 years of persistence, and it finally led to a playoff 
you know, it paid off. 30, I mean, 30 I mean, years later, right Hey, you know, patience is a virtue and not one that fan that fans possess because fan is short for fanatic and they don't want to wait that long. Yeah. The, the, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. I didn't have anything. Basically it was just like I said, if, if you're going to try something and after the first two tries, it doesn't work again, sports, sports move too quick, man. Like mm. you have to try something different. And there is a track record of the Royals making a splash trade like that. And something I could potentially see them doing this off season for a cost control pitcher for a couple of years. And Hey, it worked. I, but trying the run it back with a mediocre team and just hope everyone gets marginally better enough that it leads to four or five more wins. That ain't going to cut it, especially with the player development and coaching staff that's in place right now. It's just not. That's what I was going to say. Like the big shakeup move could still happen in the off season. And arguably that's where Dayton Moore lives for those big shakeup trades. So I, that could very well still happen. Um, there's still plenty of guys in the system bats, especially that, that you could absolutely still turn into that that big big move like the shields trade. There's plenty of arms in the system that we've heard that that scouts and other front office executives would love to get their hands on. So just you know maybe test the workers, test test the waters, see where we're at on that, and there could still be something big happening. That's not off the table. But totally understand that. Kind of want that done now so we can at least see the blueprint. We see the direction. You could point at something being like, okay, this is where the line is drawn in the sand. This is when it's time to go. And I, we've had multiple rounds of that, multiple acquisitions where I have taken the bait and been like, Carlos Santana signing, Andrew Benettini trade. It's time to go. Uh, not not it, apparently. So it's, I mean, the Grinky stuff was cool. I never really saw that as a, as a let-go trade. The Frank, If they would have gone to like a Frankie Montas or we talked about Herman Marquez there at the beginning of the year, those are the type of moves that could still happen. But again, we've lost another season, and this time we're eating into Bobby Witt Jr., we're eating into Vinny Pasquantino, we're eating into MJ Melendez. Yes, they're grinding their teeth, and that's what we want to see, but the time, the clock is ticking now. So now it's time. I can understand the frustration. I can understand the impatience, but I'm still kind of waiting for that big splash move. Could happen this offseason. That's what I would start looking for. I know Frankie Montas just got a, a pretty good haul for Oakland. Um, but can you imagine if they would have traded like MJ for him preseason? Yeah. <laughs> and like looking at looking at it from 30,000 feet now, if MJ yeah. Melendez was playing in Oakland and Frankie Montas was a part of this last place team, can you imagine the fan reaction? It would I be mean, very bad. It, would it be depends very, on what Montas would. I mean, Montas would have would have absolutely put a bandaid on the struggles of the pitching at the beginning of the season. So only so much, though. Only if so one, much. Absolutely. Once every five days. I mean, you still had to fill those other four days. One hundred percent. And we can't quantify a hypothetical situation yeah. like that. So you can't say it's it's not enough. You can't say it's enough. It's it's just like it would be different. One hundred percent. Nobody knows it'd be good or bad, but I think you would feel probably we would probably feel better with Melendez on the roster. There's probably plenty of very impatient Royals fans that would feel better with Montas on the roster. So it's just, it's a, it's a very thin line to walk. And I think that nobody knows what everybody, what the offers were. There may not have been any offers for Barlow or Stalmont. There was plenty of reports that there was, but we have no ideas what those look like. I got, I got, plenty of terrible trade proposals in fantasy baseball today. And if you <laughs> sent one, you listen to this, you sit in one, you know who you are. They were awful. Do better. It could have been, could have been the same for the Royals today. 
let's break down really quick the return that the Royals got for Whit Merrifield. Samad Taylor is currently like a quad A type. He has yet to make his big league debut, but he's right there on the on the brink of it. I think if the Royals had an immediate need on the infield, Samad Taylor could come up and and fill a gap in terms of good runner, good defense, good enough hit tool. And I actually think there's some raw, there's some there's some juice in there. There is some is serious bat speed. Like yeah. there is some serious bat speed in there that could lead to some power. Now I did see, I believe inside the Royals uh, said it from JJ's press conference that there's some in, nagging injuries that he might not play mm-hmm. the rest of the year, but he is going to start next year in AAA and probably end up on the 40. Yep. And then the other piece to the trade was Max Castillo, who I'm a big fan of. Castillo, mm-hmm. he reminds me a little bit of, um, oh God, what's his, um, um, Bruce Darg, I can't pronounce his Gratterall. name. Gratterall. Gratterall. It's just a big mammoth of a human being. And then it's like effortless velo that comes out of it. Now, even though he throws the ball pretty hard, because he throws his change up like 89 miles an hour. So, he Castillo throws the ball pretty hard, but it's not like an overpowering fastball. It's not quite Jackson Coar where it's 98 and very hittable. It's not Brandon Maurer or anything. It's just not overbearing. So he has a he's got a big fastball. It's just not overbearing. And then he throws his changeup a ton and his slider a little bit. I think if I were the Royals, first thing I do is okay, we're gonna throw your fastball less and your slider more. Keep the change up about 35%. But we're going to throw like 20% sliders and 40% fastballs. And here's what your mix is going to be. And then I would keep him in the rotation. Josh, did you like the return they got for Whit Merrifield? Let's, let's talk about Michael Massey and what Whit means to the Royals here in a minute. Just the return they got for Whit. Did you feel like they got enough or did you feel like in some ways this was a panic move? <laughs> I was going to say, it seemed like a, bit, a little bit of a panic move. I am on the record saying is I cannot stand the value of like middle infielders who can't hit for any power. This dude apparently can barely hit period very fast or a good fielder. Uh, he's got a left, left fielder too, right? Second base and left field. That- uh, I think, I mean, I think he can play a little bit of the outfield, but I think that's what I saw. predominantly. Yeah. He's got, infield. he's got some time out there. So you know my you know my feelings on that. I I don't like that piece whatsoever. Uh, but what Merrifield is is out. I do like the potential for the pitcher um, as long as they can get him figured out. Again, that's a big question mark for this organization. So uh, if this is what eventually it took to get other guys like Massey some opportunity, Michael Garcia, then I'm totally fine with it. If it gets Whit Merrifield on the contender, then I'm I'm totally in for it too. And it is. I know there's plenty of sp- like talk about him going to Toronto and how ironic that is, but I, I, I kind of wanted to pose it to you guys. We know that Dayton Moore likes to take the moral high road in just about everything that he ever does. Is there a slight possibility that he did this just so Whit Merrifield would get vaccinated? No. Do you think no. there's any part of that? No. Is Nope. I know. Okay. I don't need practicality here. I need you guys to put your tinfoil hats on. Dayton Moore loves to save people. This is where my head's at. That's what my okay. immediately went in do, my head. Do I think there was maybe like 1% pettiness in there? <laughs> I, I'm not even saying it's petty. I'm thinking it's righteous. 
I don't even think, I don't think it goes in the righteousness. I think it's just, I think there was about 1% petty in there and we lost Josh. We did lose Josh right about the right time too. Tucker is not in the green room. Like we don't have a producer right now, but like that would have been like the perfect time for a producer to come in and be like, okay, Josh is going to be muted and we will come back to him when he's done talking about that. Um, I actually thought it was kind of interesting that uh, I think it's interesting that Wit ended up going to maybe the best contender that was in play. Uh, I don't know how to make yeah. that. Well, I Toronto's got a four game lead on the wild card right now. So he's yeah. in a very good spot to go to a playoff spot. So if you're going to, if you're going to convince me that Dayton Moore was trading wit to Toronto for a reason, it almost seems like he was doing him a favor by trying to get him to a team. That's not guaranteed a playoff spot, but is the most likely destination for a playoff spot among teams who are submitting good offers. Like I would believe, sorry, I would believe that he took 10% less on the return to make sure that Witt had the best chance possible to go to a playoff contender. And he gets multiple too, because he's locked in through next year and then the player option in 24, right? So he's got, so he's got two playoff races in him as a fairly good player. I don't know if he'll be an everyday guy in Toronto next year, but, uh, but he has the opportunity to go and play for two, you know, in two playoff chases at the back end of his career. So, you know, good for him. Yeah, he got his shot and he took it. So, really quick, the last, <laughs> the last, <laughs> it was too, it was right there. I mean, that that was a hanging curveball right there. You it couldn't was. miss that. Sitting on a tee for me, Did not um, throw away your shot. Michael Massey is coming to the big leagues. We're recording this on Tuesday night. It hasn't been officially announced. I am telling you guys for a fact. Michael Massey is on his way to the show. He'll get to make. It's not his big league debut, but. His official addition to the 40-man roster, big league debut in Chicago, where he is from. Oh, that's awesome. On, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if he'll be in the lineup tomorrow because he, he'll have just gotten there and it's a 1 o'clock game. But I have tickets to the game on Thursday, and I cannot wait uh, to go see Michael Massey live at the Kauffman Stadium. I was going to say at the K, at Kauffman Stadium, at the K, whatever. This, to me, the moving of Whit Merrifield signals in part that the Royals are ready to move on, that they're bought in on Michael Massey. Josh, I don't know. Uh, I think I said it in the group chat, so both of you guys would have seen it. But the Dodgers were reportedly sniffing around on Lofton and on Massey, which is a vote of confidence as much as I need one for both oh, yeah. players. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Massey. I know we like Massey. But sometimes with these prospects, like we like them, we think they'll work, and then the Royals just hide them. They don't bring them up. They don't bring them up. The Royals last year left Massey and Haye all year, and I was kind of thinking, ooh, maybe there's something I'm missing. They brought him up quickly from AA to AAA. Now he's going to be on the big league roster all in one year. I think we're getting a vote of confidence from the Royals, and I'm really excited to see Massey take over at second baseman and be the second baseman of the future. I said it last week. I think on one Royal way with Marcus Smead, we were talking about the possibility of if Wick gets traded, then we have an, an, there's an avenue for Michael Massey to come in. And I said, and this is a bit hot takey of me and I don't normally do this, but I said, I ha I genuinely believe that Michael Massey is going to be good enough early on that he's going to make fans kind of forget about Wood Merrifield because he can be that guy for the next five, six years and be, he's going to pick it. Like Wit was a, 
fringe gold glove second baseman. Michael Massey is a gold glove second baseman. And he's going to hit for more power. There's maybe not as much hit for average, but you're going to see a, a solid approach and a guy that I think is just a better all-around player than what Merrifield at this point. Like, And I, I'm excited for what he's going to do, and I think he has a very good opportunity to absolutely lock down second base for the future of this organization. I think you're also going to miss the stolen bases with, with Massey. Yeah. Um, Witt can absolutely do that depending on – I mean – no, not the fastest player in the league, but he was still able to be crafty enough and a great read uh, to be able to rip bases off. So I think that's also something that Witt might have over over Massey and with that respect. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about Massey for for years, and and it does seem like him and his uh, his very sharp chin are going to be manning second base for a long, long time. And I can't wait to see it. Very pumped for it. That, that his jawline can cut steel. Like it's, it's wild. It's nuts. Yeah. You ever? I'm going to be the one with the Family Guy reference this time, Alex. So go ahead and take a seat real quick. But uh, they they did the uh, Reese Witherspoon can open cans with her chin. That's a, that's what I see when I see Michael Massey's awesome chin. So uh, we're there shouldn't be a can left unopened in that clubhouse. It's just the added bonus of having a good looking baseball player on your roster. I guess. Hell yes. They, I he is talk- a handsome fella. I want to talk now, actually, really quick, Joel, let's get a, a read in here from our, our sponsors over at ticketsforless.com. So, hey, if you're looking to go and catch a battle of last place teams between the Royals and the Red Sox uh, at the K this summer, be sure to check out our friends at Tickets for Less. Ticketsforless.com has the best selection of tickets to all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and shows, including the Royals. Tickets for Less never charges per ticket fees, saving you big time over the other sites out there. You can even save more when you use our exclusive partner code at checkout. Simply enter code KCSN22 when you're ordering your seats at ticketsforless.com. That code again, KCSN22. All right. Big thanks to Tickets for Less. I bought ticket my tickets to, for the game on Thursday. So by the time you're listening to this, the game tomorrow on Tickets for Less. So big, big hey, thanks to them. They might be two last place teams where you can go see Eric Hosmer and other Red Sox. Oh, know. that's right. That kind of the cool thing about that is I had these tickets beforehand, yeah. and then all of a sudden the Red Sox acquire Hosmer. I'm like, I'm going to get to see Hosmer in back live in person. Did I ever tell you guys a story before we get into more serious things about how I missed his last game at the K? <laughs> no. Oh, you did? <laughs> I bought tickets to that last game in 2017. And they weren't exactly cheap. And I was, I had way too much fun in Warrensburg the night before. (laughs) I watched the game in a miserable state from my couch. Actually, not even my couch. It was my wife's couch at her apartment in Warrensburg, Missouri. And I literally, I was so, I I was so tired and so miserable that I was watching the game with like one eye when Hosmer went deep. And I literally just, I screamed an obscene, uh, phrase of some kind and my wife's in the other room like what and i was like of course he did of course he did like so i fully robbie ray Hosmer to go off the foul pole and his first at bat back at the k uh, off robbie ray lefty lefty down the left field line in a what eight one game no that was his first at bat it was it wasn't right it wasn't eight one at that yeah. point but it, it ended, ended up being there. bad watching those four come off i i don't have a picture yeah. of those four up on my wall but that's rad. It was a really cool moment for sure. Yeah, and I missed it. So, <laughs> um, always, you always got to live with that. One. Yeah. So, really quick, I want to talk about 
a psychological theory called relative privation. And it's not really a theory. It's a, it's a, I don't know what you would call it. Um, it's a logical fallacy, maybe. The idea is that there are people who will ignore a problem on the premise that there's other problems. And it's like, hey, we know that problem A exists, but in our minds, problem B is a bigger issue. So we're going to ignore problem A as if it's not a problem and focus on problem B. The reason I bring this up is it feels like the Royals for a while now have had an issue with relative privation and the idea that they have issues, a lot of them, just like any other team, especially a small market team in Major League Baseball, and yet they're always focused on the big league team and putting their best foot forward on the big league roster, even if it's not very good. They've ignored the pitching development that needs overhauling. They've ignored the pitching coach who's still in the big league dugout. They've ignored the types of fastballs they're acquiring to give them better chances at being good developers of pitching. They have ignored trading pieces off their big league roster to this idea that they need to be competitive at the big league level. The team is in last place with Scott Barlow on it. They are in last place with Michael A. Taylor on it. I know that the losing is a problem, but by ignoring the other problems that exist in your organization, on the, on the roster, in the farm system, you are only creating more problems at the big league level down the line. So, Joel, really quick, am I off base for suggesting that maybe winning every game isn't the most important thing right now at the big league level for the Royals? I think that's fair. I do think there is a certain amount of it where the Royals are kind of missing the forest for the trees. Like there were sure there is a lot that is, that goes into it, especially when you have to manage and organize six baseball teams over the course of, you know, five or six months. But yeah, I agree. Like those problems, the problems that are persisting at the big league level are also the problems that are persisting down in a ball. And it's just, it, it's a constant cycle and nothing. It's not like we have like some sort of, like reprieve from it. Like if it was an issue down in a ball, but at the major league level, like guys were figuring it out and the pitching coach was able to help guys get around a bad fastball shape or get around a bad sequence or help them with literally any way of being a good pitcher at the big league level, then I don't think we'd worry about it, but it seems like it's just holistic across the board. There are significant problems in the development of pitchers, the development of just players in general. And, it's leading to this continued product. And you're, if you were seeing these problems, then you would understand that this is what's causing you to not be good. And it feels like they are missing that trying to get to this goal through like a very, very narrow lens. I don't know if I made any sense there, but. <laughs> we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's a, it's a very complex issue and it's it's probably not good this is more this is probably better for a very round table discussion type of thing in person than it is for a podcast setting but josh as it relates to the trade deadline i i feel like what we're gonna hear if dayton moore talks to the media is we feel like it's important to win at the big league level and you know michael a taylor and scott barlow help us do that even though the problem of losing at the big league level in my opinion, is not solved by Scott Barlow and Michael A. Taylor. We've seen that. They're not helping the team necessarily be competitive right now. That By moving them, by being more transactional, by being, loyalty is a big word they use, but by being more loyal to the young guys who are going to be around longer, you could actually fix the problem of winning at the big league level. I feel like, they, they're looking at this wrong, and with all of the other issues that exist, keeping Scott Barlow through the trade deadline is not a solution that's going to help them long-term. Is it? Am I off base there by thinking that by subtracting now that they would be substantially adding for later? Uh, I, I, I understand what you're – I think I understand what you're saying. Uh as far as the Barlow situation goes, again, we don't know what, what the return would have been. And on those return, we don't know what they would have been production-wise. So it's hard to be able to argue a hypothetical and say that it was 100% going to work out. Like you said, say we got three great pit- two great pitchers out of that and both their arms fell off. <laughs> I mean, that's a net zero and a net negative because we no longer have Scott Barlow no matter what he does that's unlikely to happen for sure. I'm just saying that arguing that is not necessarily going to work out in the end, but I also understand what you're saying that it did seem like the relieve reliever market was on fire at the moment. There were plenty of uh, good things that were being offered to other teams. So in theory, they're being offered to you as well. I, I don't understand the part where it, it it does keeping Barlow here and Stamont here is still good for the short term, which is what they're operating in the last three seasons. And obviously that's not necessarily the case. So if you're in the mindset of this front office and you think that you're that close to contention, you are not going to make those deals and give up on the next year. I, I don't think uh, if you want to make a move and think you can take on a weaver and turn him into a new Barlow, I understand that move especially if it's for an Emmanuel Rivera, like I've talked to you guys, I'm with Joel. I don't know if he was the long-term solution at third base in generals. Maybe I feel like they unlocked Emmanuel Rivera's fastest and highest gear. Um, and so they're going to turn him into a, pro- a, a project and be able to turn him into a potential Barlow 
or maybe better. So that's I like those moves because a it also it does kind of exchange the long term mediocrity and in organizational depth for a project that they think that they can fix. Therein lies the issue, and what you're talking about the the problem that they are seemingly okay with dealing with is development of pitching and. We've seen some good. Singer has been nails. Keller has been really good. Bubich has been really good lately. Lynch shoved last night. There are seemingly some steps forward. I just don't know how real they are. I want to see more of it. And that's what the rest of this year is going to be. So let's say they've taken those steps. They are all four of those big steps are real. Then they enter next year with Barlow, Stamont, Weaver, and whoever else, Quas, uh, any of these dudes still in that bullpen, that's a solid bullpen. You add a couple of big names, and who knows what happens. So I understand what you're saying. I understand, again, understand the impatience and the, the questions of what this philosophical, what this organization's philosophy is. I understand the question marks. They're well-deserved. Let's leave the philosophy behind because <laughs> that conversation – while sounds great and I think it went well for us three here, I'm kind of wondering how that's going to sound on a podcast tomorrow. So <laughs> let's leave the philosophy behind. We'll come back sure to that another time. Swimming in that purple haze <laughs> gets real hard in that stuff. Let's jump forward to the roster next year. I don't know what the big move is, but I would argue that without a big move to the to the rotation, that we're going to be looking at this team next year as being maybe 500. Like I think at the, right now, if you told me the team will be 500 at this time next year, I would be thrilled. Oh, I, would yeah. be, I would be ecstatic and overjoyed, which means realistically you're looking at below 500, not in the playoff race again. I don't know what the addition is. I don't know what the move is. I don't know how they get there, but based on the roster as it's currently constructed, I think we can go in some capacity that, Nicky Lopez, Bobby Witt Jr., Michael Garcia, Adalberto Mondesi, and Michael Massey will be manning the three infield spots left of first base. Are we sure yeah. about Mondesi? Uh, they're going to run him out there. I don't necessarily <laughs> love it. I don't okay, think so this going to be any I, good, gonna, but they're going to run him out is, there. Is he? Is this his last year of control? Like 23? No. Okay, I couldn't remember. Oh, 23 might be, but it's definitely not 22. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like next, so he would would he be a non tender candidate? Probably not. Not he's going to be so cheap. There's no way they let him go. They they love him too much. I don't, especially off an ACL tear. Like if he, yeah, I know. Like it's on stuff as he was going through last year. It's just little stuff, and he wasn't performing. Maybe, but I mean, I would almost guarantee you that he's on this team in some capacity. Okay, so something to consider at first base slash DH. You have Vinny and Nick. In the outfield, you have Olivares, Isbell, Michael A. Taylor, Drew Waters, MJ Melendez, maybe a Tyler Gentry, Nick Lofton sneak in there behind the plate, Salvi and MJ. Looking at the lineup, do you think there's any way that this offense can be a top 10 offense in Major League Baseball next year? Yeah, I mean, I have no reason to believe that they can't, right? Like, especially now we're... We're almost at a point where the entire lineup sans Salvador Perez is working with Drew Saylor in some capacity, right? So we're seeing the fruits of the labor, 
right there. And even with 50% of the lineup having worked with Drew Saylor for two years, I mean, it's already coming together pretty nicely. So it would not shock me if they were. And if they're a top 10 offense and the pitching is fine, like, and by fine, I mean like 15th to 18th in baseball, then you're looking at a, probably a 500 team or pretty close to it, right? Like, I think the offense is going to bang enough. They're going to keep themselves in games. And then it's up to the pitching to just hold on just enough to keep things rolling. So how do they get this pitching staff then from being literally one of the worst in baseball to marginal to average? Because we've, I, I will say the one thing that I keep coming back to is that there's a, a very small handful of pitchers under the age of 25 who are really throwing well this year. It's, it's not a very long list. And it yeah. just seems like pitchers are taking longer and longer to adjust to the big league game. So maybe there's some some progression coming. That, But the, they've struggled so mightily. When I look at the roster, I think the reason I was so hopeful that Scott Barlow or MAT would be traded, they need more pitching. And I don't know where they're going to get it all. Maybe they uncork some money. Maybe they throw some money. I was going to say out of Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove just got the bag. Yeah. San Diego, so it ain't coming from Joe. Who are Musco. some of the big, like, where do free agent pitchers look like next year? I'm looking at it now. I was gonna Cindy say, Gard. I haven't spent a ton of time on it because I just, I just really wanted to go after Joe Musgrove, but he got paid. Yeah, he got a hundred million dollars, didn't he? Yeah, yep. he got five for a hundred. <laughs> F it, throw the bag at Jacob deGrom. I don't care. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I think no deGrom's got a player option for 30 and a half million dollars. He said, so he's, he said he's opting out, he said he's oh, opting he? out, hitting free okay. agency. So, yeah, throw, throw the bag at DeGrom. I don't care. Syndergaard, <laughs> Charlie Morton, Ivaldi. Ooh, Ivaldi. I'd actually like Ivaldi a lot. Manaya. That'd be a fun reunion. I'd be okay Bassett. with it. Chris Bassett's been good for Bassett New York. Is, Bassett is meant to pitch in Kansas City. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. So Mike there's, Clevenger. So maybe Zach there's Jeffrey. a market out there that I wasn't anticipating could help them. I just look at I, I look at 2023, and unless they do something drastic, I'm afraid we're going to be right back here doing the same thing next year. Throw talking the money. about literally the exact same situation we're in right now. Throw the bag at Aaron Judge. Here's that, all the money, Aaron Judge. Plan? <laughs> <laughs> you fix the pitching by signing Aaron Judge. I mean, the best defense is a good offense, right? Mm-hmm. No, I yeah, can see buddy. some scenario of like where they do – throw the bag at a pitcher of some kind and yeah. use some of these bats to go and get a cost control pitcher too. Yeah. Like I, I know Pablo Lopez was out there a little bit uh, today. Maybe that could be a guy you look at. Um, I don't know who else, I don't know who else you really he want did to get at. traded, right? No, Ooh. they, the Yankees made a late run at him, but he did not get moved. Mm-hmm. Hmm. One thing that I think is interesting, just by the way, before the Royals got Castillo for Merrifield, they I, I mentioned earlier the Dodgers were sniffing around Lofton and Massey. The person I was talking to about that, I think the implication is that the Royals were also in on Mitchell White, who ended up going to Toronto for a handful of minor leaguers. So I do think the Royals are looking for that middle-tier uh trade market for for starters like like a max castillo to to supplement who they've got i really think there's a chance they take a swing 
but I think you could have gotten it cheaper. Like if you trade a Barlow or an MAT, especially MAT, in my opinion, should have, should not be on this team anymore. But if you trade an MAT and get one of those mid tier arms now, and it works out, you have two months to see it. If you, if, if two months from now you're going, man, Castillo and Joe Schmo might be solutions in the rotation long-term. Then you can know you can throw the bag at one big name instead of now, when we look at this in, in November, the better strategy might be to, to divvy that up between two lesser arms. So I don't know. I just I think the trade deadline this year really offered them an opportunity to set themselves up for a successful offseason. I just felt like they, they really didn't take advantage of what seemed to be a, a seller's market. Do you guys have any other thoughts on the trade deadline? I know we've got, gotten them all out. It seems like the Royals didn't do a lot, so there's not a whole lot to talk about. I'd like to mention Luke Weaver really quick. I think Luke Weaver could be a gem in the bullpen. I really liked him in St. Louis. I thought he'd be a good starter long-term. He was a big piece of the uh, Paul Goldschmidt trade that sent Goldie to St. Louis and Luke Weaver went to Arizona. I think Luke Weaver could be an excellent reliever. And if you're not competitive next year, you flip him at the deadline. Exactly. Theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Royals <laughs> trading relievers is apparently not a thing. They but. will trade relievers as long as it's like the last deal of their contract and they don't have any other control. They will They will do that. Like the Deakman trades, all those, they will do that. That's a good point. I do think Weaver could get them at least, like at worst case, somebody else is Emmanuel Rivera next year. Yeah. When you've yep. had a more, when you've had more time to re to to evaluate players and 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 so on and so forth. But mm -hmm. any final thoughts on the trade deadline as we sit here at nine fifty five p.m. on Tuesday night? Uh, the Juan Soto trade killed my productivity at work for about two and a half hours today. <laughs> <laughs> that was a thing of beauty, man. Oh man, I was so I was so into it. I I like very sneaky closet love the Padres. Like oh, yeah. that's like one of those NL teams that I really enjoy watching. So to the, the thought of a Tatis Soto Machado, uh, like middle of an order gets me. Whew. Oh boy. Yeah. I will be at one or two of those Padres games in Kansas. City. I will. I will be too. I will. Be um, too. And by the way, if you're listening to this, if you review the podcast on Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, review it. Go to our Twitter. I pinned the tweet to the top of the Twitter account at Royals Farm on Twitter. Screenshot your review, reply to that tweet, and you could enter to win a pair of tickets and a parking pass for the Friday night game when San Diego is in town to see Juan Soto. Hopefully, Tatis Jr. is back in the lineup by then. But we have two more tickets to give away for a, a review. We've already given away Diamond Club tickets for the Boston game Thursday. I've already given away two tickets to see the Dodgers when they're in town. And we've got two more tickets to give away in August to see San Diego when they're in town to go see by Juan then Soto. Tatis will be back. Yeah. Uh, fingers <clears throat> crossed. So um, if you'd like to enter to win, screenshot your review, reply to the tweet, and you'll be entered to win those tickets. We're going to give those out here in the next week or so. All right, gents. If we don't have any more thoughts I've got, on the trade I've got deadline. More. One more. Okay. I've got more. I've got three more. Okay. Pinch toes syndrome here. Uh, one quick one. I am AJ Preller in my dynasty football league. Like one for Same. one trade. No, nah, I'm not waking, not getting out of bed for one for one. Five for three. Now we're talking, baby. Give me, give me five. Give me the five of them. I'll take them all. Uh, I love that. You're talking about the Weaver trade. That 
all of a sudden, like the Barlow, Stamont, Taylor Clark, Dylan Coleman, serviceable. Luke, if Luke Weaver work, works out, maybe add in Asa Lacey at that point. Maybe you're then talking about Carlos Hernandez kind of taking that bullpen role. Jackson Coar becomes your Michael Kopech next year. I could 100% see that this bullpen taking shape and being a really big weapon next year if all that kind of works out. But that's remains to be seen. We'll see about that. The last thing I have is kind of a little bit more serious part is we've talked about it and, and it's been floating around on social media, this concept of the front office really, really liking and stressing the guys that have Christian Christianity and their faith in their social media bios. And I'm not here to step on any of anybody's Christianity or faith or spirituality. I do have a little bit of an issue with the player pools that it seems like it could potentially get in the way of adding talent to this organization. If that's what you're looking for, if that's like, Goal A is to find a model faith, God fearing man, then that is one way you can go, but it absolutely takes talent off of the table. And I don't really like that. I'm not saying that he should or should not do that. I'm just, it seems like it's unnecessarily uh, shrinking the pool that you could potentially be, you know adding talent to this team. That is a concern of mine. I know there was plenty of social media saying, oh, the atheists don't like God and they don't like the Royals like the God. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. It just seems like it is taking players off the pool, out of the pool that could be potentially added to this roster to add talent. So just wanted to throw that out there that we aren't attacking your faith or our faith. We're just saying that from a baseball standpoint, it's a little bit uh, worrisome. And just in case you're listening to this and thinking that Josh is attacking you, I will back him up by saying that I am, my son turns one, one. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, my son turns one today. Uh, he's a one year old as of August 3rd, which is, I mean, just crushing me in the inside. Um, <laughs> but on Sunday we are having his baptism. He's being baptized on Sunday. So we're very excited. My wife and I have decided to renew our, um, our commitment to the church and be baptized with him. So I am not, you know, the, the, the one to be on Twitter screaming into the clouds about the <laughs> thing Josh was yelling about, but I'm also not offended at it at all. I'm not, I, I do. I think it's funny. I think it's funny that every time the Royals acquire a player, it's, it's wild, like you're man. talking about the IG test, or whatever. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're getting offended. Don't because yeah, I'm not offended and we're sitting here talking to each other. It's not worth getting offended over. It is kind of funny though. And it is, I agree. If that is, as that is item number a on the list of what we're going to acquire, it's interesting. If not problematic. Yeah. So I do think yep. it's interesting because as soon as they traded for Luke Weaver, it was like that article <laughs> came out. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this <laughs> That's is, wild, man. Serious? Like so, no, is it, it, there can't be any other organ like the Dodgers aren't doing this. I think the Rockies are like sort of in. Are they? Or, yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I will say too. Um, long story short, I met the son of the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays like a long time ago, and part of the reason they took the devil out of Devil Rays was a religious. I remember that. Um, yep. So anyway, so there it does happen, and baseball is a sport full of men from the South who are more typically religious. So it's not like there's a shortage of them, but it is funny that every time, man, every single time, yep, it just seems, but 
Anyway, okay, my surprise for you guys tonight, really quick before we get out of here. We're going to play a little game. I have in front of me our preseason. We had a top 100 back then. We don't do 100 anymore. Royals prospects. So no Googling, no, no typing here. I don't want to see any fingers blaze in a trail across keyboards. Josh, you're going to go first. I'm going to give you the first guess. We're going to go to the top. Oh, where are the what is the fun end here? Let's go to the top 35. We're going to go back and forth until you each have five strikes. You got to guess one player that you think was in our top 35 mid or I'm sorry, preseason 2018. Just Royals prospects. Oh, this is 2018. Oh no. Preseason 2018. If you get it right, you go again. If you get it wrong, that's strike one. We're moving on to Joel. Oh. Um, this is preseason 2018. Preseason okay. 2018. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I'm going to go <laughs> Ash Russell. Uh, that is incorrect. He is not <laughs> on the list. <laughs> strike one. We're moving on to Joel. Joel. Who is your 2018, 2018. Nick Prado? Nick Prado was number one on the mm -hmm. list. Very good. One point for Joel. Foster Griffin. Foster Griffin, number six on the list. Wow. Sully. Sully, number three. MJ. Number five. Ooh. Who is. Oh, Chase Fallow. Uh, Chase, 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 Chase. Yep, 21. <laughs> wow. Brewer Hicklin? Brewer Hicklin oh, interesting. was... I thought he was. I don't see him now. Apparently not. Brewer Hicklin is strike one for Joel. So we're back to Josh. Let's play three strikes here because it's a butt whipping yeah. in progress here. It is five to zero team Joel. Josh, you have one strike. Uh uh Khalil Lee. Khalil Lee was number two. Okay. Um was Dozier still considered a prospect at that point? He was. He was number four. Okay. The top five have all been picked. Top six. Uh Scott Blewett. Scott Blewett, number 14. Um, oh, uh, Giggs, Gigliotti. Michael Gigliotti, number 19. I can't remember if... Was Kyle Isbell in the organization at that point? He was not. He was a 2018 okay. draft pick. So it is five to four. Joel, we're back to you. Nolan Watson. Nolan Watson was not on this oh, list. Wow. It is still five to four. Josh, you have one more strike. You um, gotta get one here to keep it alive. There are some like big names that we're missing here. Miguel Almonte. Miguel Almonte. Wah, 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 wah. Wow. I said big names were missing, and he went with Miguel Almonte. I was just going off the top of my head here. Wow. Joel. Do you want to add on, put some icing on the cake? 
2018. Oh, geez. Oh, I've already got two right off the bat. Oh, right, uh, was Richard Lovelady? He, of course he was. He was number nine. Yep. Um, who else? I don't think of any other pitchers. There weren't many. It was very, very slim pickings back then. Zimmer still got to be on that. Oh, yeah, right? Zimmer maybe? Nope. He was sure was Dumont. not. The guys we missed, number seven, Donnie Deweese Jr. <laughs> now, who who would have – I mean, how did we forget Donnie? Donnie Deweese. Oh, my goodness. He's, number he's eight, back with the Cubs, right? This is embarrassing. Number eight, Nicky Lopez. Number 10, Trevor Oaks. Number 11, Brad Keller. Number 12, Gabriel Cancel. 13, Evan Steele. 15, Josh Stamont. 16, Heath Fillmeyer. Number 17, Ryan O'Hearn. Who's 18, that? Eric Skogland. Um, Emmanuel Rivera at 23. Oh, who else? Mabry's Valoria, 28. Sebastian Rivero, 29. Scott Barlow, number 31. Oh, wow. Grant Gavin, number 33. And Cam Gallagher, number 35. Some of the bigger names that we missed on this list. It's funny. I'm looking back at this now. And by the way, we had been in business for like six months when we released this. We had at number 30, Sal Biasi was a right-handed pitcher yeah. at Penn State who got cut like not too long after being added to the organization. Number 31, Scott Barlow. Hmm. Keep in mind, Scott Barlow had just been cut by the Dodgers. So it wasn't just us that screwed that up. The Dodgers also mightily screwed that one up. Can you imagine if he was still with the Dodgers? Oh, God. They'd have one hellacious bullpen right now. Like they don't already? Yeah, well, one extra hellacious arm in that bullpen. <laughs> right. Joel, any final thoughts tonight? <clears throat> nope. Trade deadline's always kind of fun to watch, and it was crazy that we got to watch the biggest trade in MLB history happen today. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And we, I mean, biggest trade at the time. In hindsight, there's one that will never be topped, but nobody? Nothing comes to mind? Babe Ruth for $10,000? Yep. Well, when you think, like, well, when you consider that Juan Soto is 23 with three years of control and he's Ted freaking Williams, like, I think the implication of that is certainly, uh, certainly makes it. Is he the closest thing we'll ever see to Barry Bonds? Oh. I mean, Jordan Alvarez is pretty damn. Jordan close Alvarez might be, might be more that. Like, I think Juan Soto's legit. Like Ted Williams reincarnate. I saw the, I can't remember who it was, comped him to uh, Ted Williams and uh, uh, Roger Maris put together. That's a pretty healthy comp. <laughs> Josh, any final thoughts tonight? Um, it was a it was an awesome family day for me. Um. My little girl is a kindergarten graduate, or a, I guess a preschool graduate, heading to kindergarten. Then I saw her for a dance recital. So it was a big family day, feeling a little emotional. So everybody just go hug your family. Uh, love them, love on them, and give them some big hugs and let them know how you feel. That's all I got. You've got a daughter heading to kindergarten. I've got a son turning one. Joel's got a son turning two here coming up quick. Same, it got a son a, turning two. It has been a wild, um, <laughs> wild time here. Yeah, Ridgemont's high. Um, <laughs> my final thought tonight, our rankings will begin on Friday. So the trade deadline's gone. The draft is gone. The guys in the farm system or the guys that are going to be in the farm system. So with Michael Massey being called up, he will not be on the list. We try to 
keep guys on the list who are maybe a little more subjective. Like Michael Massey was in everybody's top three. He's getting called up. He won't be a prospect for much longer. Hell, by the time we actually get to Massey, he may not even – I mean, he'll be close to not having big league eligibility or rookie eligibility anymore. So it probably won't be that close. But in terms of when we start taking guys off the list, it'll be really close. So Michael mm -hmm. Massey won't be on the list, but he was top three in pretty much everybody's list. Mm -hmm. um, but guys like Max Castillo, who have big league time on Hell Zerpa, but are now in the minor leagues slash hurt, we try to keep them on the roster or on the on the rankings as a uh, keeping track of like organizational depth and and who goes where and guys who are a little more subjective of where they could be ranked. So Friday here in a couple of days we will have the honorable mentions out. On Monday we'll have like fifty through thirty. We will they will, the write ups preseason are way more in depth, which is why there are much fewer guys on the lists. So like Monday will be 50 through 30. Wednesday will be like 30 through 20. Next Friday will be, I don't know, probably 20 through 10. And then we'll get into the, to the top 10 about the, the next week. So anyway, the rankings are coming up here in August. And then minor league season would, will be winding down with about a month left by the time the rankings are done. School will be started. The Padres will be in town. So, yeah. Also, hey, nice hat. Thanks, man. Nice hat, Joel. Nice hat. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we. I finally got mine. Josh and Joel have had these for a while. <laughs> Northwest Arkansas decided to sell them again. So yeah. this is the coolest baseball hat ever. If you're not watching on YouTube, it's a gold hat with a blue bill and a man, like an old man. Like looks like they tried to make Slugger a human being. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I thought it was like a, a Neanderthal or like a Sasquatch. Yeah, it's a natural is what it is. Yeah. So I think that's pretty clear. Anyway, gentlemen, <laughs> good night. It was one hell of a day. It's been a hell of a few weeks. So I need a cigarette. We'll see you again next time, knuckleheads. Good night, Canada. <laughs> <laughs>